This is Waves, a podcast from APTA Michigan. I'm Andy Wicks. Today we continue our series of episodes featuring DPT students from University of Michigan Flint as they present their work on topics related to geriatric physical therapy. We will hear from two groups of students that will speak on some of the cognitive challenges facing our elderly patients. Please welcome Patrick Frazier and Rachel Ranko. Welcome to the Waves Podcast, brought to you by APTA Michigan. I'm Patrick Frazier. And I'm Rachel Ranko. We specialize in topics near and dear to the heart of physical therapists across the state and country. Today, we focus on three conditions that are especially important for geriatric patients. Depression, dementia, and delirium are also known as the triad because of their many similarities. Today, we'll be diving deeper to look at some of the similarities and the differences between the three, as well as things that we can do to help identify when we need to refer out. So let's start with depression. How frequently does depression impact geriatric patients? Significant depressive symptoms are present in one-fifth or about 20% of geriatric patients, making it something that's very important for us to know about. Now, depression isn't just having a bad day here or there. To be diagnosed with depression, a patient needs to be referred out to their primary care physician and meet the criteria that's been determined by the DSM-5. There are a few tools as PTs that we can use to screen for depression to provide a referral, but we'll delve into that a little bit later. What about delirium and dementia? Many of our listeners know someone or have treated a person living with dementia, but for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, can you explain those conditions a bit more? Simply put, delirium is an acute change in thinking and consciousness. That is to say, delirium is usually temporary and will resolve with some supportive care. It can be hyperactive, so think restlessness, agitation. It can also be hypoactive, so decreased activity, despondence, or it can be mixed where it has elements of both. Something to be aware of is that delirium is especially present in the acute setting, and that hypoactive delirium is the hardest to identify in terms of screening purposes. This is because these patients generally present less of a challenge for healthcare providers. Dementia is a progressive neurodegenerative disease process, and gradually the patient's function and memory decline is a direct result of their dementia. Why do we confuse depression with delirium and dementia? They seem pretty distinct. One piece of information on depression that's often ignored is the cognitive component. Delirium and dementia are linked with higher rates of depression, and depression's been linked with white matter changes in the brains of older adults. Depression can sometimes present with components of mania, mimicking a hyperactive delirium. Geriatric patients that are experiencing depression frequently have problems with self-care and are more likely concerned with their own memory impairments. It can be hard for others to distinguish between depression causing a low level of self-care or if they're not completing self-care activities because they don't know that they need to, as these self-care problems can happen with delirium and dementia both. Depression, like dementia, manifests over a long period of time, making the changes more subtle than those seen in delirium. Interesting. So what can a PT do for patients with these conditions? All three members of the triad require a physician to diagnose them. But as physical therapists, it is important for us to know how to screen for them. One simple thing that we can do is ensure that we take a thorough subjective history. It is important for us to listen to things like recent loss of a loved one, a new diagnosis or change in medical status, medication changes, or other major life events. It is also important for us to try and establish a baseline for every patient so we can see where they started. Are there any other screening tools we as PTs should be aware of? 
One of the screening tools commonly used in geriatric populations is the Geriatric Depression Short Form, or the Patient Health Questionnaire 9. Both of these screening tools can be utilized to help with identifying patients that have signs and symptoms of depression. The Patient Health Questionnaire 2 is another simple tool that can be placed on patient intake forms to help determine if a further screen should be done. I think I've actually heard of the PHQ-2 before. What can we do to screen for delirium? In a hospital setting, the confusion assessment method, or the CAM-ICU, is frequently used. It can help identify the signs and symptoms of delirium. It uses a few basic tests in the patient's Richmond Agitation and Sedation Scale score, also known as a RAS score, to determine if delirium is present. When working in outpatient, another version of the CAM exists, known as the CAM Severity Scale, or the CAM-S. The CAM-S has both a long and a short form that examine things like memory, perceptual impairment, disorganized thinking, altered consciousness, and the sleep-wake cycle. I think it's also worth noting that per a statement from the APTA Geriatrics Fact Sheet on Delirium, mobility and or physical activity is the primary prevention for delirium, so any older adult should be encouraged to move as much as possible even before any symptoms of delirium are present. As we know in PT, prevention and early action is the key. Okay, so we have the GDS and PHQ-9 for depression. The different versions of the CAM for delirium, plus physical activity to help avoid delirium. So what can we do to help identify dementia? Dementia has a few different forms, and because the onset is gradual as discussed, it's really important for us to have a baseline. Cognitive testing can be performed with patients as soon as any signs or symptoms of cognitive decline appear. A commonly used test is the Mini Mental State Exam, or the MMSE. The MINICOG is another commonly utilized test to help screen for cognitive impairment. The Montreal Cognitive Assessment, or the MOCA, has also been frequently used by PTs in the past. However, be aware that as of September 1st of 2020, you need to be officially trained and certified to properly administer this tool. Can you give us an example of some signs and symptoms of cognitive impairments that may prompt us to perform a cognitive test like the MMSE or MINICOG? Oh, absolutely. A few signs and symptoms commonly seen include frequent forgetfulness, having trouble finding words a person usually knows, losing or misplacing things frequently, losing train of thought in conversations, or increased anxiety or irritability. Aren't many of those also signs and symptoms of depression and delirium as well? You've got it, which brings us back to where we started. All three members of the triad share a lot of common signs and symptoms. So to recap, it's important to establish baseline values for cognition, monitor for changes, know when the results of the screening tools we discuss warrant a referral out, and to again take that thorough subjective history to listen for clues as to what direction the screening needs to be continued in. And that wraps it up. Thanks for turning into Waves. That was future physical therapists Patrick Frazier and Rachel Ranko. Next, we will hear from Donovan Turchin and Katie Persia. Dude, where's my car? I don't know. Where's your car? Where's your keys? I don't know. Do you have my keys? Did you drive us here? We have all at some point have lost our car in the parking lot during the holiday season or have been at loss for words in a conversation. Now imagine forgetting where you live or not recognizing familiar faces or even finding no pleasure in activities you previously enjoyed. What if this decline happened to your significant other and they no longer recognize you and see you as a complete stranger. Sadly, this happens to millions of people, and the number is growing every day in America. I'm Katie Persia. 
I'm Donovan Turchin. And we are physical therapy students from the University of Michigan Flint. Alzheimer's Association estimated dementia will increase to about 14 million Americans by 2050. The bottom line is we will come face to face with dementia on more than one occasion in our career, and even more so if we are working with the older adult population. Don, what is dementia and what would it look like? How many times have we often heard a parent ask, where did I put my keys? What is the name of that actor from that TV show? Did I turn the stove off? Most consider forgetfulness as a normal part of aging and need more time to think things through. Is this what it means to grow old? For those with dementia, it's much, much more. As defined by the National Institute of Aging, dementia is a loss of cognitive function, behavior, abilities, and such an extent that it interferes with a person's daily life. No part of the brain is immune to the incurable effects of dementia, along with its numerous forms such as Alzheimer's disease, Lewy body dementia, and frontotemporal disorders. So if I understand this correctly, dementia is a neurocognitive decline at a much faster rate than that is experienced with normal aging. As physical therapists, how can we determine if in our older adult populations, if the patient suffers from dementia and not depression or other uh, degenerative neurological conditions when they seem to be more similar than different? Okay, Katie, so what we have, we have depression, delirium, and dementia, and these are often called the three Ds because they're prevalent in our older adult populations. Depression may present atypically in older adults, such as feeling down with flat responses, feeling tired, reports of pain, sleep disturbances, or just otherwise irritability than typical symptoms such as sadness or tearfulness that last longer than two weeks. They may even deny feelings of depression. Whereas delirium is common post-surgical cognitive disorder characterized by just a sudden rapid change in mental function. Dementia is most notably different than depression and delirium due to its steady progressive decline in thinking that eventually manifests into amnesia, agnosia, and or aphasia without signs of illness. Including a quick screen tool as part of an initial evaluation will be helpful to identify potential health concerns that may easily be overlooked and effectively refer out when necessary. It has been re reported by both caregivers and the general public believe that screening for dementia will benefit them through effective treatment as well as financial preparation. So the question becomes, why would we not want to screen for these cognitive deficits? That's a very good point. With the limited time to conduct a very thorough exam, what type of screens should we look at to effectively screen for dementia or other cognitive disorders? A systematic review in 2019 conducted by the U.S. Preventative Task Force found that the Mini Mental State Exam has the highest sensitivity and specificity of 0.89, but other cognitive tests screens such as clock drawing tests, mini cock, and verbal fluency tests are acceptable to use as well. If you suspect depression, you can easily administer a PHQ-2, a simple two-question screen. Other acceptable screens are the PHQ-9, Beck Depression Inventory, and Geriatric Depression Scale. If a patient expresses loneliness or shows functional decline, it may be wise to even quickly screen for depression since it puts the patient at a higher risk. Lastly, an older adult presents a sudden change in cognition, especially after recent surgery. So you could use the CAM or the CAM-ICU would be great screening tools to administer and track the improvements of delirium. 
it is important to take away that these screening tools won't be a bad place to start and may even prove beneficial to the treatment plan for an older adult population. This is great. I didn't realize I had so many options. And I like how you highlighted the type of patient presentation that would help me choose which test to use. This is really helpful. So let's say I have a patient who had been diagnosed with dementia. What are some ways I can assure I can effectively communicate so that it doesn't hinder from the treatment session? Okay, one thing you want to remember is treat them no differently. Demonstrate patience. Listen. Show respect. Utilize eye contact and offer choices to promote patient autonomy. Promote a relaxed environment. Remain calm. Avoid distractions or criticism. And did I mention, be patient. Because as this disease progresses, nonverbal communication strategies become even more important when interacting with the patient. You mentioned a relaxed, calm environment. I often find this can be hard to achieve when usually clinics are very bright and fast-paced environments. What can we do as physical therapists to help enhance the treatment session? Absolutely. Clinical settings can be fast-paced and bright. Overstimulation or even understimulation can often lead to confusion, frustration, and inhibit the therapeutic session. Easy ways to decrease overstimulation is to avoid loud or busy floor patterns. These can cause visual and spatial difficulties. Reduce excessive background noise by working in a quiet room, turning off TVs, lowering music to a softer level, or even using sound reduction drapes or wall hangings. And lastly, check to see if the lighting fully illuminates in the treatment area. Agitation in patients with dementia has often been associated with inadequate lighting. These are great ideas. I never thought of using sound reduction drapes before, and lowering the music volume and changing the lighting would be very easy to do in the clinic. Student physical therapists find it challenging or even intimidating working with these patients with dementia, as it may not follow textbook examples. If you could give a few main takeaways from this conversation, what would they be? First of all, find out what the patient likes or dislikes and use that to the team's advantage when developing interventions. Interventions should include connecting with past life experiences or familiar activities often get the patient engaged in the session. Read your patient's body language to understand if they are being over or under stimulated by the environment, intervention, activity, and avoid the patient frustration and loss of interest. And lastly, be patient. Remember how frustrated you get when you can't find your keys? Consider how your patient may feel when they cannot remember the way home, if they ate breakfast that day, or even if they recall faces or voices of loved ones. As a skilled physical therapist, we must be patient in order to effectively treat all of our patients. I want to thank all of the students that contributed to this episode. Patrick Frazier, Rachel Ranko, Donovan Turchin, and Katie Persia, as well as their instructor, Dr. Emily Carter. As I said in the first episode in this series, the students went above and beyond their required coursework, and Dr. Carter, I fully recommend you give them some extra credit. Waves is a podcast of APTA Michigan. It is written, recorded, and produced by Katherine Klein, Hayden Ray, and me, Andy Wicks. You can find episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Waves Physical Therapy, and you should find us. You can also visit our website at aptami.org slash podcasts. Email us at waves at aptami.org. Find us at aptami waves. 
Thanks for listening, and may all your documentation always be done on time.